Dear Old State is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know college football ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers and shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. I downloaded the app. There's, It's very, very easy to use. Uh, you can see... In-app in panoramic seat view photos from every section when you're going to buy your ticket. So it's really easy to see. You see exactly where you're going to sit, uh, what it's going to cost, what your view is going to be like. I know the Penn State view up there, it has a nice whiteout photo. You can see where you're going to sit in Beaver Stadium. Uh, Penn State basketball tickets also now available for quite affordable prices that I saw. So check out Game Time. Head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. <music> Welcome to the post-whiteout edition of Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. The Nittany Lions beat Michigan 28-21 in front of the fourth largest crowd in Beaver Stadium history on Saturday. I am Matt Brown, editor for the Athletic College Football, and I am joined by Penn State writer Audrey Snyder. Audrey, you were in the press box Saturday. How was your whiteout experience? Well, Matt, happy Monday, first of all. Uh, Saturday was interesting, to say the least. I mean, it was yeah. <laughs> as charged of a crowd as one would expect for a whiteout, of course. I mean, you know, they did not break the record, but it was the fourth largest crowd uh, all time in Beaver Stadium. 110,669 fans. And that includes, of course, media and probably like concession workers, too. But uh, massive and crowd. And lots of recruits. <laughs> uh, a lot of recruits. Um, I counted... Well, I stopped taking track of numbers after I lost count because there were so many of them. But when Penn State arrived Saturday afternoon, James Franklin easily got over 100 handshakes in with prospects. Like the team was literally in the locker room, walking in the stadium, probably in there for a solid three to five minutes. And he was still greeting recruits. You know, it's, it was just that kind of weekend, Matt. I mean, great crowd. I did walk across the stadium before it started to kind of soak in the atmosphere, tweeted out some videos. Um, you know, the crowd was behind this thing, which you, you've come to expect for a whiteout, right? It's almost like you kind of get spoiled by it because the crowd is so great. They're so amped up. The students were there early, all those kinds of things. It, yeah, it never ceases to be just kind of an amazing scene, like every year. Like, it's it, doesn't, it doesn't get old, yeah. no. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely incredible how they make this thing work every single year. Uh, then Penn State jumps out to that 21 nothing lead, and I'm sure we're probably going to spend a lot of time today, Matt, dissecting all of that and how they let the lead slip away. But the fact that they're 7-0, and let's not forget that, Matt. How That's many the people thing. thought they were going to be 7-0? and Like, we talked, we had did podcasts not know, me. earlier this month, and we we're like, okay, they've looked pretty good. You know, been inconsistent. It looked pretty good the first five games, but everybody predicted 5-0, and like everybody. Yeah. Uh, if you, when you looked at the schedule, is okay. They should start five and zero. If they don't, it's a problem. Okay. Then they go to Iowa. They win. They find a way to win. And I think the mood was very, very positive after that one. Then they play Michigan at home and they win. They're seven and zero. And it's like okay. But the mood, Matt. How many the people mood. predicted seven and zero? Like we're not through this three game stretch where I think everybody predicted at least one loss and absolutely we still might. But they're seven and zero. 
They are, I would say right now, in the driver's seat for the Rose Bowl, probably. If you're assuming that Ohio State's the Big Ten's playoff representative and that Penn State's going to have difficulty winning in Columbus. Reasonable assumption. Ohio State's good. But Wisconsin just lost. It was a weekend in which Wisconsin lost to Illinois. (laughs) And Penn State beat Michigan. So I feel like there's kind of a lot of negativity out there. And I understand some of it, but. Yeah. I have an advice for everybody, and it's basically quoting James Franklin. Oh boy! Enjoy, enjoy winning, especially against Michigan. Yeah, I agree, Matt. I, I said in the media room afterward, after we were done talking to Franklin, we were done talking to players. I said to a couple of the reporters, I was like, you know, and I get it. It's usually the people who are the most ticked off that are like the most vocal. Uh, I said to one of the other reporters, I'm like, you know, like, can this fan base enjoy winning for a second? Like it, it, and I understand it though from the perspective of wow, you almost let that one get away, but you didn't. And to their credit, in previous years, they have let games like this get away, a la Ohio State last year. It looked a lot like the Ohio State game for a second. Oh, yeah. Last eight and a half minutes of the game. Just the lead, then they couldn't get a first down, and Michigan started making some big plays on on offense, and it was just like, yeah, this looks very, very familiar. And I guess, Matt, and somebody brought this up on my Upon Further Review piece, which is up Monday on The Athletic. Um, And again, since this is our Monday show, it's open to everyone. I can't recommend enough the kind of work that we're all doing at The Athletic. Allow Um, me to recommend Audrey's work. since uh... I appreciate that, Matt. (laughs) I paid him to say that. However, (laughs) next beer is on me. Um, We just are covering all of these things, and, and you look at the fact that you know, we had three people at this game, right? We had two people covering the Michigan side of things. They got to meet Nick and catch up with uh, Austin again and read their stories from Josh Gaddis and how that offense is going and the whole Jim Harbaugh experience. Again, this week, we've got Colton Pouncey doing a heck of a job covering Michigan State. We also would recommend that you guys give a listen to the Michigan State podcast that The Athletic is producing as well if you want kind of a view on the other side of things. Green so, and white noise. Green and white noise. There wherever it is. you listen to your podcast. Yeah, wherever you get your podcast, you can listen to green and white noise as well. But one of the things I wrote about, Matt, is it just seemed like, from the fan reaction, it was kind of like this was a deflating win. And it, sh- I mean, it, it's a win. They're 7-0. and We're going to nitpick because that's our jobs, right? But I think the fans need to just relax a little bit. I mean, I guess, Matt, and this is back to my original point, what someone wrote on a pond for the review, and it's an interesting question, and I'm curious to hear your take on this. Is this current Penn State team that's 7-0, and do you think it is better than last year's Penn State team? I don't know. Uh, I, yeah, I do. Defensively, absolutely. I do. I think they're better defensively. Uh, I think their quarterback's healthy, and that's a that matters. point mm-hmm. that was kind of lost last year. Uh, and I think the offensive line's better. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think the offensive line, again, I don't, I still don't think they've had like a top 10 nationally unit in, in a long time, but they're at least better. They're getting better. So, and, you know, I, I think there's certainly some questions about the play calling flow. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's been moments where it's like, okay, Ricky Ronnie's, you know, finding a rhythm or at least, you know, I, I think it's like, the first half of that game, it was like, well, Ricky Ronnie is just destroying Don Brown right now. Like, the, And then they get up 21 nothing, And then all of a sudden, it just completely flips. Uh, but I don't. I, they're 7-0, and I have them ranked number six. And last mm-hmm. year, I just didn't think, even when they were like in the you know like 10 to 15 range, I didn't, didn't necessarily buy it sometimes last year. It's just they were, 
just felt kind of lackluster at times. And this year they're seven and zero, and I think they're going to go at least ten and two. So certainly, yeah, it's, that it's way, a product. Yeah. It's a product of who they play as well sometimes. But let's not forget that they got destroyed by Michigan last year, a Michigan team that ended up getting destroyed by Ohio State and Florida. Yes, they beat Michigan this time, and. Since Penn State has joined the Big Ten, the series is 14-8 in favor of Michigan. And at times, it's felt even more lopsided. You know, they did not beat Michigan from 1997 through 2007. James Franklin, going into this week, was four and, or 1-4 and four against Michigan. You know, they lost by 35 last year. They lost by 39 in 2016. Don't take beating Michigan for granted. I don't care if Michigan is not what we expected before the season. They're not. But they're still right now a top 20 team, and I have them in the top 20, and they have a lot of talent. I mean, it's a good defense. There's a lot of talent on defense. They have a good defensive coordinator. They have good receivers. Uh, Their offense doesn't lack playmakers, even though they just have not really found an identity this year. So it was weird how the game played out for sure, and and ultimately they could have gone to overtime because if if there's one caught pass that was dropped, and I get it, Yeah, but – you know, Penn State just beat ranked teams in back-to-back weeks for the first time since 2005. Uh, That's a great number step. Number six in the AP poll. Uh, hat tip to Chris Peterson of Penn State for putting that on Twitter. <laughs> um, but, and of course, we'll get into it later. The last time they did that, then they lost to Michigan the next week. But uh, <laughs> Well, there's an uplifting note. But I just think you add that all together. I mean, they found a way to win. Again, and uh, the other question, just like last week, can they get a first down when they need to win the game? They did. They did. They yeah. did, and it, they wasn't. They weren't doing it for a while, but they did at the end, and it was with bringing back to Ricky Ronnie, a creative play call. It wasn't. I, I, you know, you. I think Franklin said after game, we, you know, worried just a basic run up the middle, the way Michigan was defending, and the situation where everybody's expecting a basic run up the middle. They did run up the middle, but they found kind of a new wrinkle, a new way to do it, and the 170 pound fullback KJ Hemler <laughs> give the people the what yards. they want. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the point, Matt, right? Like, we can look at last year's roster, we can compare it to this year, really just for argument's sake, it doesn't matter. I think you look at this team, and they were young. I did not expect them to be 7-0, and I don't think you did either, and yeah. so they're making strides, and it was ugly for points. I mean, 21 nothing. it was beautiful, the fans were loving it, then the offense went back into these all-too-familiar lulls, but at the end of the day... Huge goal line stand. Yes, the receiver dropped the ball. Um, Huge play there. But again, credit to Penn State for putting Michigan in that position, uh, you know, and holding on as long as they could. Yes. But then you're able to kill the clock with KJ Hamler with some creativity. So I hate when people discredit wins because, as James Franklin said after the game, there are a lot of teams that didn't go 1-0 this week. Half of them, in fact, didn't go one know this week. Including Wisconsin against Illinois. Yes, including <laughs> that team that was ranked and also, ahead of you in the Big I, Ten. You know, I know Wisconsin flattened Michigan, embarrassed Michigan earlier this yeah, year. But it's not going to happen every week. That was also Michigan at its worst. Michigan's gotten better since then. And again, Michigan is in the top 25, and it's it's not like a fraudulent – like, they're a top 25 team. You know, they're, they're, they have talent, a lot of talent. They've recruited well. Penn State knows they've recruited well. They've been a lot oh, of battles yeah. with Michigan. So – and, There's, you know, we can debate the rest of the year on here. What's that drop-off right now between, you know, the four playoff teams and everyone else? Because um, I do think there's a difference there. But credit hurts too. I mean, 7-0, and again, not exactly pretty getting here. Certainly a lot to build off of. And James Franklin said it afterward. He said, you know, this wasn't wasn't their best game, wasn't their most complete game by any means. 
But again, they won. And man, it was enough to beat Michigan, which again has not always happened much in yeah, the history of the like, series. Big, big win. Um, but is it time for my favorite part of Dear Old State? Which is the running back did, section. Why did Noah Kane get Noah Kane again led the team in carries? Believe it or not. Yeah. Five, or all led, five sorry, of them. Led, led, excuse me. Led running backs in mm-hmm. carries. Sean Clifford had 11. Uh, had like one nice run and that was about it. Um, five carries, 19, 19 yards for Noah Kane. And it was, for me, it was like the third quarter was when I really felt it. Like, because it was like, all right, they haven't done much on offense. They need to just sustain some drives. The defense is going to start wearing down, which it did. Where is the guy who consistently moves the chains or gets four or five yards a pop? I could tell you where and he was, Matt. He, he was standing he was on the sideline. Standing on the sideline. Uh, my parents were in the at the game, and my mom texted me, is Noah Kane hurt? Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't get it, and I continue to not get it. I, I The thing that puzzled me, right? So we've been saying for weeks, if you're a loyal listener of Dear Old State, you know our thoughts on this. And I think most Penn State fans, which is interesting, I think most of us, and it's not just, we're not the only people talking about this. Most people are on the same page with this. This guy has looked like your best back. You've said that you want him to close out games. He's looked great doing it, coming off back-to-back games, 100-plus rushing yards. So he did get elevated up the depth chart. He was second. Uh, So he bypassed Ricky Slade, which Journey Brown again got the start. Then Slade did come in on that first series to attempt to catch a pass, and then the second series went to Noah Kane. But then he went away, and he didn't come back to the first series of the second half. And then we didn't see him again until the last drive when they needed to kill the clock. You got a guy who's really good. You were able to get him here. You lured him away from Texas at the last minute. You're really happy to get him. You've burned his red shirt. You like what he's doing. Rush for Why in the world don't you use him? Weeks, beat Iowa, like, was the main factor in beating Iowa. I, I don't but get it. But it's it. not just, it's, again, we, and, and I want to do, you know, shout out Ricky Slade, you know, finally mm-hmm. got the big play he needed, 44-yard run. You you hit on that in, upon further review, how he's been dealing with all this. And he, he's been lifting a lot, Matt. Just like when we're stressed out by our jobs, we uh, clearly go to the gym and start doing a lot of squats. That's uh, apparently what Ricky Slade, that's what he does. That's what he was telling me. Um, But it's it's just, here, here, the, the, again, we, I've said this a hundred times. All of these guys are clearly talented and I think they are talented in different ways. And Ricky Slade, or excuse me, Noah Kane. You forgot about him already, Matt. Noah Kane is the one who is the most decisive, who is, it's not like he's 230 pounds, but the most has the most pop as a runner. Runs hard, is decisive, makes one cut, gets downhill, can can fight through traffic. The other and and you know that last phrase I just used is not really something we've seen much from some of the other guys. Like I feel like Ricky yeah. Slade, Journey Brown just have not been decisive enough. Mm-hmm. They, you know, there's a little bit of dancing in the backfield, and you know we saw what happens when when Slade gets an opening, he takes advantage and, and has that explosiveness. But it feels like he needs a little bit more space to get it done. Noah Kane, you know, even last week, he didn't have, I, th- I think his longest run was maybe it was 11 or 12 yards. It was just positive gain, positive gain, positive gain. Put Keep the offense on schedule, which is something this offense needs. It's huge. You yep. know, they get, they you know, all those, you know, second, third, and longs that sometimes they fall into. Noah Kane's the one who allows them to avoid that. 
And, you know, Franklin said something, no matter who the running back was, it was going to be tough getting yards against this run defense. That is true. But haven't we heard how that much against the, the Iowa defense? Yeah. And last week, Kane got downhill. Yes. And, if and all the credit to, to this offensive for, line that yeah. you've been talking up, you know, that's been playing better. I mean, Matt, my... If anybody's going to fight for the tough yards on this team, it's Kane. And that's not, you know, criticizing the other guy's, you know, desire to pick up yards right. or whatever. It's just saying Noah Kane's running style and his decisiveness lends itself to positive yards. And when your offense is in a hole and can't sustain drives and is going three and out, and then when your defense is clearly wearing down, which it did, mm-hmm. like Michigan oh, yeah. made some good adjustments, but the tackling kind of let up, and it's just that's what happens when you face over 80 plays 82 and your plays. offense can't yep. stay on the field. And Noah Kane is the guy, the best guy to sustain drives, which they realized last week at Iowa in the second half and put it on his shoulders. This week, it was like too late. And I I think maybe I they forgot the rotation that they had him, in some ways, but it's you got to at some point go with the guy who's been the hot hand this season, which is what they said they wanted to do is ride the hot hand. And they Nobody didn't do that against Pitt either. In a game, so. And I guess the, the thing was, we didn't really get any explanation from Franklin. He was asked about it afterward, and he said his response was, I quote, I think Noah moved up. I think he was the second back in, which he was. That's accurate. For I, like four seconds. Then. Yeah, for a hot minute, he was the second back in. I think he did have opportunities late in the game, but again, we feel really good. Ricky Slade had a good night. We feel like we have four guys that we have a lot of confidence in and are doing really good things, and Michigan is diff- difficult to run the ball against. But it's no different than what I've been telling you guys since the beginning of the year with our running back situation. So did the last seven games not matter for this rotation, Matt? Did well, what Noah Kane not, not do like, not matter? The weird thing is, though, it's not like Noah Kane or like you know one of the other backs is getting 25 carries. Right. Here's the numbers from this game. Right. Ricky Slade had three carries for 48 yards. Jeremy Brown had four carries for 19 yards. Noah Kane, five carries, 19 yards. Again, he had the most among running backs. Sean Clifford, 11 for 17 yards, which includes sacks. Uh, Devin Ford, one carry for two yards. They're just... And again, well, they also just didn't stay on the field, though, which is... Mm-hmm. So it's like, what comes first here? Like, okay, they didn't have a lot of carries because they didn't stay on the field on offense. And they also hit some explosive plays, but then they didn't stay on the field. But then it's also like, okay, but if you gave Noah Kane more carries, they'd probably stay on the field because he's shown he can do that. And he's the guy, if they want to go on a, you know, 10-play, 75-yard drive that takes five minutes, Noah Kane gives them the best chance of doing that. And, you know, good, explosive plays are great. But, you know, they hit, what, three? And otherwise, it was, you know, uh, beyond, you know, as a team, they ran 29 times for 101 yards. Um it was more like 111 because I think that includes the three kneel downs. Uh, so I don't know. I, I'm just a little bit baffled by just how it's all playing out. It's new. It's different than what we've seen in recent years. And we get that, but it's just, you know, and last week too, it was like, okay, why, why didn't we see Kane until too late? He had 10 more carries than the rest of the running backs combined. Uh, but you know, to have only five carries in a game like this where they needed to grind, I don't, I don't even want to say grind clock. They just needed to sustain drives. Yeah. And he's the guy to do it. So and, that's, I mean, people that's have raised it. the question, is he hurt? Is there something going on behind the scenes? Um, There's no indication. Not that I'm aware of. I <laughs> yeah. mean, I, you know, Penn State doesn't acknowledge injuries, which I get why they do it from a gamesmanship perspective. But it also leads you leaves it open for a heck of a lot of speculation. And 
Clearly, though, he wasn't hurt because he wouldn't have been elevated to the second back end if he was. If there was something going on off the field, exactly. you wouldn't elevate him to the second back end. So I don't know why they didn't want to use him. Um, we really haven't gotten that answer. It's been really the same answer all season long same with Same answer. They want to rotate everybody. <laughs> so we'll see who they roll out uh, against Michigan State. But, Matt, the I other just— thing I'll point out, too, yeah, is— And I think some people in, in your comment section pointed this out, which we've raised the question, too, is, okay, and it's also part of it is just the offense they run, and when you have the run-pass options and you're leaving mm-hmm. decisions in the hand of the quarterback. Sometimes, I'm sure, you know, we'd have to you know watch more closely, and, you know, we're not— I'm not going to pretend that I can break down the film like Penn State's coaching staff here. <laughs> we don't uh, get paid to break down I can't. film. They like are they the experts right. in this. And but is, you know, there's decision making in Clifford's hands, and I'm sure a lot of times he's making the right decisions. But he's also a redshirt sophomore quarterback, right. And who, who's learning on the job, and I'm sure you know he's probably kept the kept the ball in situations where he shouldn't. He's probably pulled the ball and thrown it in situations where he shouldn't. So it all just kind of adds up when you're trying to get four running backs carries when you're relying on explosive plays. When your quarterback make has to make a lot of decisions that determine run, pass, or run himself or hand it off, it's a lot of things that add up into just a situation that regularly becomes frustrating. Because if you look at the season, you know they're seven and zero. But why people are frustrated is that I would say that they've played two games that were complete from start to finish: Idaho, which was Idaho, mm-hmm. and then Maryland, which. Yep. Credit, Maryland. you know, Maryland's not good, but credit, they went there and just, you know, Demolished. destroyed them yeah. from start to finish. Other than that, the Buffalo game, they ended up covering the spread, but they really struggled to sustain drives in the first half. And the Pit defense game. was on the field, yep, for a heck of a lot yep. of plays because Pit of it. game, struggled to sustain drives and, and you know, 117-10 came down to some big defensive stands. Uh, you know, the Purdue game, they were up 28 to nothing, and then it just fell asleep for two quarters, basically. Uh, the Iowa game, they had, like, what a yard in the first quarter was it even a yard i don't remember but yeah it was not much didn't go anywhere in the first quarter and again there we can chalk it up they were a little you know nerves early and whatever this game they again let's let's give credit to the positive as well they jumped out 21 to nothing hot start for sure i thought ricky ronnie was great early i thought sean clifford made two of the best the best throw of his season was the throw to john dotson 37 yard strike over the defender and then the next throw was really good, too. Pat Fryermuth got away with a little bit of a push-off, but still great throw. A lot of separation there, yeah. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> A lot of separation, but it's a great throw. He put it where it needed to be. Uh, you know, you had Ricky Slade's run early. Uh, K.J. So Hamler. A lot of K.J. Hamler. K.J. Hamler, who, who we can talk about him a little bit more yeah. in depth as well. But they came out early, and then it's just frustrating when you come out early and do that. And then it's just, it felt like the defense adjusted and Penn State didn't. And I feel like we've seen that before. It's, you know, 2016 we're talking about they can't start fast, but then they adjust. Now it's like this year is turning into the opposite, despite the fact that we were complaining about slow starts <laughs> against Buffalo. So, so it's now just, you get your been fast start and we're going to complain too. <laughs> game. It's like if you spread out the four touchdowns over the course of the game and like – yeah, it makes you for know, different conversations. One in each quarter, it would be a different conversation. It's like, oh, well, they did what they needed to do to win. It's just – so it's a weird team to talk about. They keep giving us stuff to talk about, even when they're seven and zero and win. Yeah, I, there, there's just a lot, Matt. And one of the things with the offense, and I wrote about it last week, and we're going to continue to talk about it, is you got KJ Hamler. Ten to twelve is the number of touches that they want him to get, which I thought that was the most interesting thing that came out of uh, James Franklin's interview on College Game Day Saturday morning. Was 
that's the number that they have in mind. Um, I cannot recall him mentioning that specific number at any point this season. I mean, we've asked him about it, and the response has usually been, you know, he's not getting enough touches. He needs to get however many touches we can. And even then, it's probably not enough. But 10 to 12 was the number. Hamler got his 13 touches, um, of course. Touch 12, the big old 53-yard touchdown was massive. Touch 13. Yeah, they took advantage of some matchups there. You know, Michigan was, like, leaving safeties on, on yeah. Hamler in the slot, and he made them pay. I mean, his burst is just otherworldly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so you, you look at that, and you know you have a bona fide playmaker in K.J. Hamler. You've had that all along. We saw Jahan Dotson with the nice catch as well. We mentioned Pat Fryermuth, but where in the world has Justin Shorter been? And I get it, they can't sustain drives, so they're struggling, and Shorter did miss that, you know, game and a half with Maryland and then the, the subsequent game against Purdue, but they it just seems like they don't look his way. I mean, this is a guy who, former five-star receiver, they're going to need to get him going. Yes, I know they like Daniel George. He's a big target as well. He's coming along strong. But you got to have that number three receiver rolling, and they just haven't done that yet this year, which is kind of weird. Yeah, I, I think it's a product of a few things. And I, you mentioned, I just, I, I wonder if Clifford is getting to shorter in his reads. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you're looking for Hamler a lot. A lot of times, I think Hamler and Dotson are on the same side of the field. And, and you know, you add in Fryermuth, and it's just like, Shorter's just on the other side of the field, kind of like by himself, and, and just riches doesn't get seen. And, yeah. and he has six catches, 100 yards this year. Uh, had one target on Saturday, no catches. So we just, you know, we haven't. It, it's I'm sure it's a combination of things. And you add in the, you know, lack of plays that they ran. Um, and you know, we're talking about. It feels like there's several guys on the team. We're like, okay, why aren't they getting the ball enough? Like we say that about Noah Kane. Mm-hmm. We say that about. Uh, Justin Shorter. I feel like we say that about Pat Fryermuth, who Absolutely. is yeah. an NFL tight end, and he actually—I he, mean—he has solid numbers this year: twenty catches, two hundred thirty-one yards, four touchdowns. That's those are good numbers for tight end. But it does you know feel like he's not There's getting stretches. targeted a lot? Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, he's hasn't had more than he had twenty-eight yards. That is his actually was his second most yards this year. Surprisingly, wow. It was the Buffalo game was just the one game. He had eight for ninety-nine, uh, and then other than that, you know, he's caught some touch a couple touchdowns but it's been pretty quiet and nick um, bowers is part of that but still i mean to me man it's that's one of the interesting things and we understand right not everybody can have a million touches a million catches every week right like it doesn't work like that this offense doesn't work like that um we hear so often that it's you know these routes it's not predetermined who clifford's gonna throw to it's about finding the open receiver and all these sorts of things but to me, that the, the shorter thing has just been really interesting because they just it's he's just not gotten going, and I, we're still waiting for it. I think everybody's waiting to see that because, yeah. again, five-star kid, Penn State still loves him, still has really high expectations for him, but everybody's just waiting to see it. And I think, you know, can we see that here as the season gets a little bit later um, you know, who are some of these other guys that can step up and make plays because they've got so many people. But to me, that was the big thing. But yeah, back to KJ Hamler real quick, Matt. I mean, what can't this guy do? I mean, I thought it was interesting after the game where KJ, again, and he's a great interview, great quote, says what's on his mind, doesn't hold back, uh, which I love as a reporter. Uh, he's a fantastic interview and wears his emotions on his sleeve. And 
you know, he said he wants to do everything that that 6'5 receiver can do. He wants to be able to go and pluck balls out of the air and make those catches when you got a defensive back draped all over you and you have to go up and get it. And we just see this guy doing so many things. And of course, his kick return touchdown did get called back. But one of the things I wanted to point out, and I mentioned it in Upon Further Review, it was not shown on television because they were focusing on the overall view of the stadium and the whiteout crowd. But Penn State, during a kick return in the second quarter, Journey Brown called for a fair catch. Of course, Hamler was back deep with him. And Hamler was laying down in the end zone Yeah. <laughs> as as the ball was coming. And I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, oh man, am I seeing this right? Like, are they trying to pull, pull a trick play, which we've seen teams get penalized for because the, I guess the thought process well, that, is... That was, that was just on Washington got penalized for. I yes. don't know if it's new, because this has been a play it's that been has been on. run in the past. Like, teams have done this. And uh, I guess the enforcement, it doesn't sound like the enforcement's been very consistent. With Everybody's still kind of unclear about like what the rule is and why Washington got penalized, and I don't know. But either way, we didn't even find out because Dirty Brown fair caught it. Yeah, and so I mean, clearly they wanted to throw the ball the ball back to Hamler, you know, to try and surprise Michigan there again, get another touch for KJ. But yeah, that was certainly a, a new and exciting wrinkle. But yeah, I guess we're gonna have to get some uh, rules experts, some rules clarification on that one because. It looked exactly like what Washington did, um, which got penalized for. So that was that was weird and interesting. Um, I want to give Cam more credit. I mean, for a couple of things. It's you know we talk about the fifty-three yard touchdown he had that ended up being the decisive points. Mm-hmm. But the play before that, third and five. This you know again we're talking about how they struggled to sustain drives. Um, they converted a third down earlier that drive because of a defensive holding penalty. So they're still you know not getting a lot done. You know that that drive it was. Uh, Clifford ran for one yard. Clifford was sacked. Then it was the defensive holding penalty bailed them out. And then Journey Brown ran one yard. And then Journey Brown had a four yard catch. So you got to drive another drive that's like going nowhere. That 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 they're not doing anything to, to pick up yards really. And it's third and five. They're at their own thirty nine yard line. Everybody's feeling this this Michigan comeback. You know it's twenty it's twenty one to fourteen. And Clifford throws a, a over the middle to Hamler who just makes a tough catch in traffic chain moving catch eight yards exactly what they needed and you know it's like the play that gets lost because if they don't make that play if he doesn't hold on to that ball there's no touchdown the next play you know they're punting again and the place is deflated instead Hamler makes a tough catch over the middle and then the next play you know burns the Michigan defense 53 yards touchdown and you know it's ultimately the plays that won the game and so and then you know the play that actually did finish the win was him just fighting through tacklers and acting like a power runner on a you know pretty crafty play call and you know got a little bit got his bell rung it looked like and then the whole stadium starts chanting KJ as he gets up and uh, quite cool a scene moment. quite a yeah. moment from the guy from Michigan who then you kind of captured the post game scene with him as well. Yeah, um, he asked me to take a photo of him with Donovan Peoples-Jones. <laughs> a lot of uh, friends on the other sideline. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I thought back to last year, and I believe I mentioned it on the podcast last Thursday, where the end of that Michigan game last year, KJ was stewing on the sidelines. I mean, it was, one, it was embarrassing, the manner in which they lost at the big house last year, but this means an awful lot to this guy. Being somebody from Pontiac, Michigan, he takes a heck of a lot of pride in that. And, I mean, this guy just continues to produce big play after big play. And, again, Matt, if we want to harp on this offense, if we take away Penn State's three biggest plays, which, of course, was Hamler's 53-yard touchdown, Jahan Dotson's 37-yard catch, 
Slade's 44-yard run. Without those three, Penn State's offense would have produced 51 plays, uh, resulting in 149 yards, or a whopping 2.9 yards great. per play. They did at least make those big plays, unlike like the pit game where they yeah. struggled to connect downfield. Clifford did make some good throws. I think he was he was spotty in this game, you know, inconsistent as it went on, but he made big some big throws. Mm-hmm. And you they, know, they, they did, but missed some big <laughs> plays, made some big plays. Um, Clifford did have Fryermuth on a third down later yes. in the game that he just sailed the ball on him. That would have been would yep. have been a big play. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot for this offense to to work on to learn from and. Matt, the Penn State defense being on the field as long as they were, um, Micah Parsons continues to impress. I mean, he's just He was amazing around. in the first yeah. half especially. I mean, I, I said something on Twitter about how, uh, you know, before the year I think a lot of people were saying, oh, this could be the fastest Penn State defense ever. First half we saw that. They yeah. were just flying around and making Michigan uncomfortable. And nobody more than Parsons, who I believe finished with 14 tackles. Yes, uh, team high Lead the team tackles. in tackles. He was just everywhere around the ball his you know ability to change direction his burst uh looks like an nfl player <laughs> i don't think there's any doubt about it yeah i mean just the way he's able to change direction so quickly it really surprises it surprises me because you've got a guy with that size who just it's funny, he's a high school defensive end too it's like <laughs> it, it's crazy and you know talking with brent pry last week on a conference call he said you know there's still plenty more for micah to improve on that it's about yes. technique at this point and really honing in on that because again it's like he's kind of like that piece of clay that you keep sculpting and molding and there's still a lot of work to do with him but then you look and one of I thought the humorous parts of this game um Tariq Castrofields gets the big interception of Shea Patterson huge game-changing moment uh then Shaka Tony was flagged 15 yards for taunting <laughs> and I went back and looked at the replay and here he was shooting finger guns at Shea Patterson which is just absolutely hilarious but again something that you can't do um in this league so I'm sure that'll be a teachable moment that'll probably make James But Franklin's they scored anyway. Point. But yeah, it didn't it didn't matter because they got it you know they got a touchdown off of that drive but I had to laugh at that one cuz yeah. I was like man these guys are having fun they're soaking in the atmosphere and you know, Castro Fields, we did see he missed a big tackle late in the game, um, but he was all over the place. I mean, I think yeah, there were some things you could take issue with. Yeah. Like, you know, I think they were maybe a little bit slow to adjust when Michigan started hitting those plays on the perimeter. And then the, the, you know, the defense was clearly wearing down because, you know, for much of the game, it looked hopeless for Michigan to run up the middle. And all of a sudden, uh, Penn State just looked tired and you know couldn't tackle and so part of that I think there were there were a little bit of areas where I thought Penn State was slow to adjust but overall I just thought it was mostly just the inability to sustain drives that that kind of wore Penn State down eventually and Michigan ended up holding the ball for 37-45 again time of possession doesn't always matter because Penn State was hitting some big plays and that's going to lead to shorter drives but we saw that did matter in the second half when those big plays weren't there Uh, and that's going to put the defense in tough spots and that's what we've seen Again, I think that this is why it troubled people is that we've seen Penn State lose close games, that they had a lead, that the defense wore down and started giving up some bigger plays. The offense couldn't move the chains to keep the defense off the field. And we did see a repeat of that. But the difference, again, each of the last two weeks is they found the way to win. And it's frustrating when you almost blow a 21-point lead, (laughs) especially when, you know, Michigan could easily tie the game but dropped a pass. Uh, but I don't know. I don't, I don't put much on the defense in this game. You know, I, the comeback was frustrating, but you know, and this is the most 
points Penn State allowed this year. They got out, gained 417 to 283, actually. Gave up 26 first downs. So there are some, you know, there's some criticism to go around. I'm sure there's some stuff they can correct on defense. But overall, you know, the defense helped allow the offense to get out to that big start as well. And the other part of that, Matt, you look at now some of the injuries, right? Some of the things that are starting to stack up. And Donovan Johnson uh, hasn't played since he got banged up uh, around the goal line during the pit game. And during warmups, he had his right arm uh, in a sling and tightly harnessed to his body. So clearly there's something going on there. I mean, he's dealt with some kind of arm shoulder type injuries before. So I'm not saying that's exactly what it is, but um, certainly, I mean, certainly there's something there. He's not available. Then you look and cornerback Trent Gordon wasn't dressed either. So you see Marquise Wilson taking on the true freshman, this elevated role. And Michigan at one point, as soon as he came in at corner, they went right at him on a shot yeah. play. Um, so, you know, teams are going to recognize that. But now Wilson has played in four games. And you got to figure here, if they've got some depth issues at corner, which it's certainly looking like it because of health, Maybe this is another guy who burned his red shirt. Um, Adisa Isaac played in his fifth game, so that's another red shirt burned. So uh, Keaton Ellis continues playing. So, I mean, right now they've got five freshmen who've burned red shirts. Of course, Keaton Ellis, Brandon Smith, who we saw more at linebacker, yep. Noah Kane, Devin Ford, and Adisa Isaac. And then, you know, still in that four category, you have Joey Porter Jr. and you have Marquise Wilson. So the cornerback situation is something to keep an eye on, but – there were also stretches, Matt. There was one sequence where they had Brandon Smith, Adisa Isaac, and Keaton Ellis on the field at the same time. And this was like second half, like maybe even late in the third quarter. And it's like, you know what? This is a big-time moment for to have three true freshmen on the field. But that's how these guys gain experience. And, you know, hey, Penn State's able to get a win while doing that. And James Franklin did say afterward that he thought – you know, as this game wore on, that this is kind of where their depth on defense was able to show. That's why you play all these many, also, you know, so many guys. That's why you have all these, what sometimes maybe seem like crazy line shifts with the defensive line and all those changes. But yeah, they're, um, they're still rolling, Matt. So definitely exceeding our expectations. Yeah. I think my final point really is that, you know, nobody came into this year really expecting Penn State to win the Big Ten. You know, I did feel a little bit open, and I think that we thought maybe there was a possibility. Uh, but you know, I think we kind of agreed that this year was about seeing where this youth on, on the offense, how it could develop, and then potentially 2020 if you know they have so few seniors and if everybody comes back. I, I you know we don't want to project things, but you know I I, I would assume Utah Gross Matos will be going to the NFL. Yeah. But other than that, I don't know if how many of the decisions will be made. Um, there should be high expectations for 2020. And this was about, you know, building, hopefully getting better over the course of the season. And, you know, maybe even if you get better, you know, get into a major bowl game. And right now they're doing everything and, and then some. I mean, there's still flaws on the offense, that's for sure. But they are 7-0. and They, you know, they play at Michigan State, which we'll talk about later this week. But, you know, it's Michigan State's had their number. They got to play at Minnesota, who is undefeated, has some playmakers. Got to play at Ohio State. You know, three toughest remaining games are on the road. That's but important. Yeah, that's a good good point. I would p- expect Penn State to win at least one of those. So, probably two, maybe two, but at least one of those. Um, and so, I, I think they're probably going to win ten games in the regular season, which means they could win eleven games. I think they can go to the Rose Bowl. So, all of those things are better than most preseason projections indicated. It's partly a product for the Big Ten, but as of now, where they stand. They are, 
compared at least to our outside expectations, a little bit ahead of schedule. And, you know, if, if they can go to a New Year's Six game, which they didn't last year. It's huge. And I think right now, I, I think most of us would predict that they will. Um, so I think, so what I'm saying is enjoy winning. This is better than we ever, most people thought it was going to be. And they, every goal, every possible goal is still in play. I don't think they can win the national championship, but technically every goal is in it's play. Still, they are undefeated still on the table. Yeah. And number six. And as a team like Wisconsin loses to Illinois, another reminder, enjoy winning, especially when it's against Michigan. Sounds good, Matt. As always, good to talk to you. And for those of you who are listening to Dear Old State, friendly reminder to rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts from. We are talking to you every Wednesday and Thursday exclusively for our athletic subscribers. Monday Monday and Thursday, yeah. Oh, did I say Tuesday? You said Wednesday. Wednesday? Oh, my gosh. I'm losing it, Matt. Um, Night games. Night games. Yeah, it's it's taking a toll on my mental well-being. Um, But yeah, thanks for listening and athletic subscribers. We will be back with you all Thursday to chat all things Sparty. And if you're not an athletic subscriber, please join us and let's read Audrey's great contact content and get all of the dear old state episodes with those Thursday episodes on the athletic app exclusively. So thank you to listening for listening to dear old state. And we will be back Thursday.